Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast edition of Sunset Moms for the week of October 18th, 2018. We hope and pray that each week you will feel a part of this tribe, of this tribe that is motherhood. Before we hear from today's speaker, I've got a couple announcements for you. Um, It will be another month until we get you a podcast again, because at our next meeting we're going to have holy yoga, um, a holy yoga experience, and that would be logistically challenging to communicate via audio. So we'll pick back up on November 15th. We're also participating in a stocking drive with one of our favorite nonprofits with love. Um, so if you attend our regular meetings, then check in with your table leader for the details. And now without further delay, today's speaker, her name is Sherry Anderson, and she is a friend and colleague of our very own Sabrina Walters. And today she's going to give us some insight into the power of words. It's going to be, you know, that he knows Matthew McConaughey, that actually he and Matthew were uh, models together. <laughs> Believe it or not, it's true. <laughs> and, and the story is, is that GQ, the magazine, wanted John to, be, uh, to, to do a um, photo shoot with them one Saturday morning. And John was like, oh man, I don't want to do that. I want to go fishing. Make Matthew do it. And so they did. And that was Matthew McConaughey's big break. And ever since then, (laughs) Matthew McConaughey is very famous. And John is very famous to us. So (laughs) true story, true story. My, my stepmother was the owner of the modeling agency. So anyway. No. Well, actually, I have, but not then. Um, Anyway, John, um, I am super excited for him to share with us today. He is uh, literally one of my favorite people on the planet. Um, I wouldn't have said that when he was born, but (laughs) when he was born, he's he's seven years younger than I am. That was going to be another lie that he's older than me. Um, But... um, he is, uh, he's seven years younger than I am, and I honestly thought that they brought home an alien. And <laughs> I was a little bit in denial that I wasn't going to have the baby status anymore, because there's, there's four of us before John. So I was the baby of four for seven years. I thought I had it nailed. You know, I was going to be the baby forever. But uh, then John came along. And he, um, he was named John. Uh, because it means the blessing, God's blessing. And he really has been for our family. He has been um, uh, a huge blessing to us. And, and he continues to be that blessing. He is a father of two amazing kids. Um, he has lived uh, in China as a missionary. And he's been to China many times as a missionary. He's been to Africa as a missionary. He currently uh, works for Soma Games in um, Newburgh, and he is their marketing director. He has done uh, marketing for many companies um, and social media stuff. For so I, I'm going to kind of crucify my um, description of him because it's kind of how I vision his jobs. I really don't know what he does, but <laughs> I know that he's a people person extraordinaire, and that's what he gets hired to do in a whole bunch of different companies. But uh, the thing that I think is probably the most um, 
instrumental in his life is he works, uh, he speaks for the men's boot camp Northwest, which is affiliated with John Eldridge in collaboration with John Eldridge. And um, he's been doing that for 15 years. And so he goes and he speaks a couple times a year to hundreds of men and inspires them to live their life for God and to be that godly leader in their families. And um, I think that as he does that and he meets with that team weekly, I've seen him grow and he has inspired me over and over and over um, and continues to inspire me on a daily basis. And um, so I hope you enjoy hearing from my brother, John. I think she's pretty cool. Uh, so I have to elaborate on that story a little bit. Actually, correct. So the first part is true. I did model with Matthew McConaughey. It was a very strange, interesting uh, story in my life. The reason I got to do that was Matthew and I were both working for our stepmom, or uh, Sabrina and my stepmom, in Texas at a talent agency. And uh, I was, probably I was lost at that time in my life. I was about 22, dropped out of college early at Oregon State because I didn't know what to do. And uh, I heard that. I heard that. I went back and finished too, but <laughs> but uh, so in Texas, uh, she uh, Donna, uh, who my dad's uh, married to, had a talent agency, and she actually discovered artists like Matthew and helped them with their careers. Well, I showed up there, not having any idea what to do with my life, and Donna had heard that I was okay. This is really ironic. I was a hair model when I was in <laughs> high school. Yeah, downtown Portland. That's how I got my hair cuts paid for. Remember that? Yes, I forgot about that. Yeah, flock of seagulls, the whole thing. Yeah. So she'd heard. Yeah, long gone. So uh, in Texas, Dawn had heard that I did that, and she's like, you know what? You should come out, and get some headshots, and I think I can get some work for you. So I was working Eddie Bauer as a salesperson, but also modeling. So I get this call. And it's Donna's like, hey, they, this, uh, this crew wants you to come down. They looked at all these headshots, and they chose you, and they wanted you to be a, in this music video. I'm like, I don't act. I don't even know what, I don't know what to do. She goes, just show up. You'll be fine. And they just want you by your face. So they don't want you to do anything else. I'm like, okay. But my manager, Eddie Bauer, said I couldn't go. And she said, if I went, I'd be fired. And I was pretty broke at the time. So I was like, I can't do it. So Donna sent Matthew McConaughey. He got uh, music video of the year. It was Walk Away Joe. <laughs> yep, but we did do runway things. Like they have the guys that come out with all the girls that do the runway models, like for spring things. And Matthew and I were like the guys that walked out with them. It was a hoot, so. Anyway, that's, my, uh, that's that story. So the fishing part wasn't right. Um, <clears throat> this is a real pleasure to speak to you guys. I just, just the energy and, and the support in this room and just hearing some of your stories. And I really love just moms are, are a huge 
uh, very important in my heart. My mom, our mom, was a single mom, and she raised five of us. Wow. And she is a prayer warrior, and she went through so many hard things um, just throughout her whole life. And if, you've ever, if you ever get to meet my mom, <clears throat> she's a real blessing. But I just, I think it's so really cool that you guys have the support and the friendship and, and what the Holy Spirit can do in this room and, and the, the tables and the mentors. That's, that's just really special. So I thank you for having me come and speak. And thank you, Kim, for getting that ball rolling. That was really cool. Now, Sabrina, someone told me that I was the first male speaker. How long have you guys been meeting? Okay. Well, that kind of freaked me out a little bit. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, uh, it's a real privilege. As I prayed about what to talk about, um, I thought about my calling and and what the essence of my calling. And I've 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 studied that for a long time because it, it seems to be always moving. But I I was I was I was prepping for this, and I was saying I was asking God like, what if I could boil that down to a sentence? What would it be? And I feel like my calling is to spend time with God as much time as I can, whether that's in prayer or out in the woods or just listening to music, um, meditating on, on God's word. And then whatever God kind of gives me and shares with me, I want to go and share that with others. And that's, that's really a, my whole calling boiled down to one little paragraph. And so I, I thought about today, what are, what are some of the things that God is teaching me right now? And um, there's one topic that he keeps coming back to, and that's soul care. And when I first heard of the, of the, the term soul care, I, I didn't even know what to think about it because I didn't really understand the concept of what a soul was. We use the word soul quite a bit. And we use it in the things of like saving a soul, right? We use it as uh, soulmates, you know, someone that's super endearing to us. But what is a soul? And so as I started to study that, I came upon a book uh, by um, John Ortberg. And he had started on the same journey that God had taken him on. And he was friends with Dallas Willard, an amazing, I've never met Dallas Willard, but I call him a mentor because to, to me, he's just, uh, his wisdom and his walk with God has changed my life so much. So it was really cool to start reading this book called Soul Keeper. And as I started to think about that, I didn't, you know, Christmas is hectic enough. The time of Christmas is nuts. You all know that. You're the moms, right? And there's so much pressure. And the last thing I wanted to do is put more on your plate. And so as I asked God, like, how, how do you want me to bring this topic of soul care? You're already caring for some souls, right? And there's a lot involved in that, whether it's husbands, the kids, your parents um, and relatives coming to visit. Um, Sabrina just had 38 people at her house for Thanksgiving. Not staying there, luckily, right? Didn't any of them stay? Good. She usually has a lot of people staying at her house, too. If, you ever, if anybody ever needs a place to stay, <laughs> you know, in between, or if, if some of your kids are like, maybe they left for college and they're kind of, you know, troubled and they don't know what to do with their lives. 
she's got a couple rooms and she's always open doors, right, Kim? Yeah. Right? Yes. Thanks, John. You got a, two rooms open right now? <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> um, so when we come back to the idea of soul, and we were having some slide trouble, so uh, if you could look, I think they printed out some things from here. Look at the first slide. And that quote by Dallas Willard, I think sums up, let me see if I can find it here, technical difficulties. Actually, skip ahead to the circles. And this quote from the book, uh, Soul Keeper, I think really defines what a soul is in this context. In the Old Testament, the soul is used to, to describe life, a life. And even some, uh, some scriptures even describe things like horses and dogs to even have souls, which is kind of strange. But in the context that we're going to go about it, uh, this quote is really good. Your soul is what integrates your will, your intentions, your mind, your thoughts and feelings, your values and, and conscience, and your body, your face, body, language and actions into a single life. A soul is healthy, well-ordered, when there is a harmony between these three entities and God's intent for all creation. When you are connected with God and other people in life, you have a healthy soul. So the world today is so concerned more so with self than it is soul. When I look, you look at this uh, image of uh, Dallas Willard did this, and this is an image of what he perceived the soul to be, and it's all-encompassing. So the soul is on the outside person; it's the whole person. It's what uh, when when Jesus talks about becoming whole and holy, it's it's this integration of our of everything that is us. It's our body, our mind, our thought, our will, our spirit. Our, um, our behaviors, our relationships. It's all the things, and Dallas Willard says, really, it's the only thing that continues on into eternity. You know, whether that's an eternity with God or not God. It's something that endures and lasts forever. So it's pretty important. And I, um, this life, it's like school. It's like a long school, but it's a school for the soul. It's like a place that we get to go after this wholeness and holiness that Jesus talked about. And if you take this apart and you look at the heart, the will, and the spirit, the very center of those circles, think about how um, we try to control those things on our own. And how does that go? Think about food and Christmas. And I mean, I look at it and I was like, I'm always, it's not one piece of cake, it's two. Um, Christmas candy, all those kind of things as temptations. Uh, think of the favorite shows we like to watch, whether it's you know Netflix or Hulu or whatever. Uh, Christine and I are watching this this one called uh, Designated Survivor. It's the um, Kiefer Sutherland show, and it drives us nuts because we can't stop watching it because they always leave you in a trip cliffhanger. But if you try to as much as possible control those things, it doesn't work. And yes, we can willpower, we can, we can buckle down, we can have a lot of self-help to try to get through that. But the truth of the matter is, without God's help, those things are very hard to control. The Bible talks about, uh, one of my 
least favorite verses in Jeremiah talks about the heart being wicked. And a lot of people get stuck there, but they don't realize that in the New Testament, what does it say? Christ comes to give us a new heart, a heart that is moldable and shapeable by the Holy Spirit. And so we have the heart here. Um, we have the body. Um, I think each of these categories, we can look at them, and on their own, outside of God, outside of the ability to, uh, to look at our lives introspectively and, and, and walk with God to make us whole, we maybe succeed in one of these categories, but most, in most cases, all of these fail. And so this idea of soul keeping is coming to God with the, and asking him to make you whole. And uh, yesterday I was at our, our company, we, on Wednesdays we call it Jesus time. Um, it's about 9.30 to about 11, depending on the discussion. And any one of our um, employees can come with a, a concept and present it with a video or whatever. And then we have a discussion time and, and often um, even prayer and healing afterwards. And so I brought this idea because I've been working on this for you guys, this idea of soul keeping. And in Ortberg's book, he talks, he says that we are the keeper of our souls. And it bristled everybody a little bit. And they're like, how is it that, wait, isn't God the keeper of our souls? And I thought that was really interesting. So we had a lot of discussion about that. And it's this idea of like we do, we become Christ, we become God's. And he changes our life, indeed. But then he puts, puts us in charge of our souls. And I, I love that, because then we get to take the things that God has given us, the healings that we've had, the transformation we have, and we, rather than willpower, rather than um, you know, buckling down and trying to do a new program, whatever that program is, to monitor one of these things, we become a keeper of our soul. It's like a garden keeper. Um, taking care of something that's a treasure. And it's not like we're, we're not in charge, right? God's in charge of our souls, but we are keepers of it. And I love that, that picture. Uh, so when the, we look at the world and how it's concerned with self as opposed to, to soul, um, we have things like we take care of ourselves, we express ourselves, we stand up for ourselves, selfies. So much today is, is self-centeredness. And, and I, I look at where the world is today in politics and the topics, and even in, in women's topics, there's this drive to protect the self and, 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 and stand up for the self. But when I look at it as a whole, there's very little that's integrated in forming and helping a person become whole and holy. And, and that's troublesome to me. When I speak to men, uh, men's ministry has a lot of tips and techniques. It has a lot of ways to approach life and change this, become a better dad. Um, you know, there's the celebrate recoveries and all these things are really good. But what I've noticed in, my, in the ministry that I've done with John Eldridge is that unless you approach the whole man, you're not going to change. Nothing's going to change. And you might have the man become, maybe he becomes a better dad, but something else comes up. And so this approach of like, 
becoming whole and holy and becoming keepers of our soul, I think, is, is really important. Um, Dallas Willard, a quote, says, If your soul is healthy, no external circumstance can destroy your life. If your soul is unhealthy, no external circumstance can redeem it. We have so many external circumstances today. There is so much input coming from the outside world to add us. And you, your guys' lives as moms are, are hard enough. If, and, and if you have all the world coming at you, um, and we don't have a soul that is healthy, we have no assurances. We have no, uh, we have no protection against what Dallas Willard talks about, um, destroying our life. So I think it's the most treasured thing that God has given us is our, is our soul, because out of that soul, all the good things come. Our love for others, our love for God, our love for um, what God has for us in eternity. Uh, Jesus says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit our souls? My own story, uh, I turned 49 in October, and I've, I have a, a, a discipline, a spiritual discipline of journaling that I've done since I was 26, and that was the year that I met my wife. Um, and I just felt like God's saying, you need to start writing stuff down. And so I started doing this process of journaling, and I've been going back over in my approaching 50, which sounds weird to say, but um, I've been going back through all those journals. And, and as I've noticed that is when I started journaling, all of my journal entries were cries of help. I, was, I had no idea how to be a husband. I had no idea how to do my career. I really had no idea even how to get through the day. And so all those journal entries were cries for help and a plea for God to, to get, just get me through the next day. And as they started to change and I spent time, more and more time with God, I've noticed, I've been in this process for about six months reading these journals, that's become less of a cry for help and more of a cry of, uh, just a cry of my heart to be with God more. And then outward, it's kind of funny. At first, I'm like, man, this, this is ridiculous. This is all about me. And yes, the journal entries are still some cry of help because, wow, i got a long ways to go. But there was a turn from that to where I, I really wanted to know God more. But I also, as I started to heal or things were starting to happen in my life, it was a move toward others. And I, my prayer list started getting longer and longer. And it was kind of cool to watch that. Uh, about uh, uh, Sabrina mentioned that we were we've been in China several times. I started going to China in 2008, and I have no idea how I got there. I don't even know how I like. It, was, it had never been a dream of mine to go to China. I did want to travel a lot, and I wanted to share, like I said, the things I learned that God had taught me. But I found myself in China, in charge of. I think I was, uh, that was 2008, so I was, I was, um, I was uh, 38, and I was in charge of 12 college gals and, and a youth pastor, or a college pastor, and I had no idea what I was doing. And so that started this journey of going to China. For about every other year, we would take uh, teams of college kids to China uh, and do uh, these English camps, and they were really transformational for me. 
And I watched how God would change not just myself, but the people that we went with as we went to China. And I thought it was really interesting to watch their lives transform in front of me. They're thinking they're going to go share the gospel in China. And what most oftentimes is God totally turned that person's life upside down while they were overseas, and they came back someone completely different. Well, this happened on a grand scale for my family. Uh, I've been to China five, no, seven times. Uh, but my wife started a Young Life Club in Amity, Oregon. She's a, she was a high school teacher at the time. And she asked me to help her, and we love to do ministry together. And so while we were doing that, we were in Young Life, uh, at the Young Life Ranch with our club. And she had a vision of our whole family moving to China. And I thought she was crazy at the time. I had a career. She had a career. Um, I didn't even know what that would look like. And so she started praying about it. Well, we found out that China had a Young Life team that was undercover. There was about 50 different teachers throughout the, different, throughout the country. And so uh, we started praying about it. Come full circle, we went to our second camp. And by that time, Young Life had hired us as staff members to go to China. And we started this uh, process of taking apart our whole lives. And we had sold our house. We got rid of all of our furniture. Luckily, we kept our two cars. And uh, Sabrina watched this whole process. It was amazing to watch, because the whole family was pretty excited. My kids are 18 and uh, 15 now. But at the time, they were I think they were 14 and 12, right? And so we started this process. We got um, everything put away. We got ready to leave. We got trained up. And we went to China with the idea that we would be there one to two years. What we didn't know was that my daughter was suffering under a severe depression. And it hadn't surfaced yet. So we get to China. And it's hard enough to be a missionary. But when you have a child that's suffering and you don't know about it, and that starts to come out, um, everything started to unravel. We had an amazing ministry. Um, we did just like you do Young Life here. We had a club, and we had um, studies where you would have uh, the kids that you're working with, a smaller a group study, and we call it book study instead of Bible study. We call it uh, English club instead of club night. And uh, it was a really fun time. Our whole family was involved in this. But as the time went by, my daughter noted, my daughter started to get um, more withdrawn. And we started to see some symptoms. She would have panic attacks at, at dinners. And we started to know that something wasn't right. And this was about, about five months in, Young Life finally decided, and, and we decided that we needed to go home. But we didn't have anything to go home to. We didn't have a house. We didn't have careers. In fact, people before we left, other some folks even said, "You're you're committing uh, career suicide by doing this." I was walking away from a chief marketing position with Saddleback Leather. Um, we'd spent all of our savings to get ready to go do this, so we found ourselves back in February 6th of um, just this is through two years ago, with no work, living in a in a, a trailer on my friend's cattle ranch near Turner, Oregon, with a $3,000 stipend. And that's all we had. Christine found temporary work. I didn't have anything. And I was, I was starting to do some consulting, but it was really hard to get back into the swing of things. So I spent about two months in front of a fire pit on this ranch 
doing soul care. And I look at the time, it didn't feel very good. But now looking back at it, I think it was one of the most valuable times in my life. Because God started to show me, going back to the first, to that circle graph, God started to show me on each of those categories how bad things were. And it was really painful. Um, John Eldridge talks about this process we take men at boot camps through. And, uh, and in fact, I think Dan Ellinger might have come up with the term um, of being pulled back through a knothole backwards. So you have a look at a fence and there's a knothole there of this process of God taking you back through a knothole backwards. It's not very, it's not very good, or good feeling experience at the time, but now looking back at it, I was realizing I gained, I gained about 25 pounds. Um, my health was in bad shape. Um, my mind, I couldn't stop obsessing about the anxiety, the anxious moments of how to take care of my family. Did I do the right thing? Everything was falling apart. I didn't even know my heart anymore. Um, my willpower in any regard wasn't working well. My relationships uh, were hurting because I didn't have anything to give back. Everything had been given to China, and now I was empty. And so God started to do this process of putting things back together in a way that would make uh, me more whole and holy. And holiness sounds like a strange word, kind of like a, a lofty religious word. But all it means is to live our lives like Christ. Christ wasn't an example of us. He, was a, he, was, or he wasn't an example for us. He was an example of us. And I, when I first heard that quote, it, I, I, I like it because as an example, it's like I'm always trying to be something that I, I feel like I can never be. But if Christ, Christ's life is an example of us, of we are transformed, we are completely made new in Christ's image, then that's kind of different. That means we have hope. That means we can do the things that Christ said that we can do. And in fact, he said we will do greater things than he did. So that process was really helpful for me. Um, so what I wanted to do today was a little bit of an experiment. And, and like I said, I didn't want to put anything uh, more on your plate. Because I think each of our plates are already full. And maybe they're spilling over onto the tablecloth and onto the floor, especially with Christmas coming. And so I thought about this and I prayed. I said, what, what would be helpful? If you come to the the page that has the spiritual disciplines at the top. I thought, rather than um, add one more thing for you to do in our busy lives, I thought it would be really good to look at the spiritual practices. These are the spiritual practices of Christ. And there's more. You could probably you know, split some of these. But if you were to take one or two of these, and in this season in this season reflecting on Christ coming to rescue us. Take one or two of these, three if you have the capacity, and adopt them for this season. And if you look at them, some of them might be kind of easy to do that with. It's, uh, there's prayer. We can pray during the season. There's friendship. 
We have a lot of opportunities to be with other people. And, uh, but approaching friendship as a discipline is a little bit different because it's purposeful. We come to a friend rather than just letting the small tuck happen, approaching that in prayer and approaching that person of like, what does that person need? There's a lot of need right now. I mean, Sabrina as a counselor can tell you how bad this season is for individuals that are in a lot of pain and hurting. Um, our family just went through, uh, just experienced a suicide uh, right before Thanksgiving. Um, so there's so many people in need. But the, the great part about the spiritual disciplines is as we approach them, God changes us. He begins to show us how to become a soul keeper of our own souls. So look through these. And if you, um, on, your, on your printouts, there's a website that you can look for more information about each of these as a discipline. And I encourage you to look that up. Uh, Richard Foster wrote a great book called The, Spirit, the, the Celebration of Discipline. Um, Dallas Willard has written a lot about spiritual disciplines. And uh, I'm going to play a song. I'm first going gonna, gonna to pray for all of you. And I want you to take this song and just rest for a moment. I want you to just settle your spirits and I want you to just sit. Um, no pressure. Pressure's off. Right? And I want you to just receive from Christ maybe what he has for you in this moment. Maybe that's just being able to do nothing. <laughs> and maybe that's the ability to hear his voice. Maybe he has something to heal. Maybe he has a word to speak over your life and, and who you are as a woman, as a mom. And maybe most of all, the most important thing is a daughter. So as this song plays, um, <laughs> feel free to cry, feel free to laugh, just relax, let things just completely go. And I think God has some amazing words to say over each of you, if we're willing to go there and, and willing to um, pause for a second. And the difference, I, we all are busy. We can't be in America and not be busy, especially at Christmas time, and that's fine. But I would, I would challenge you to not be hurried. You know, approach your, your everything you do in this season with a spirit of, like, sl not slowing down, but not being hurried. Be busy, but do everything you do intentionally and on purpose with the person in front of you, with the tasks that you have in front of you. So listen to the song, and then we'll close. And I've got some questions, uh, discussion questions at the bottom here that you can have with your table.